So Kelly. So Guy. Are you familiar with the great country that is a neighbor to our north known as Canada? Uh, yeah, I am. So um, here's the thing. If I could have chosen where I was born, I would have chosen to be British because why not? I think everything sounds better with a British accent, actually. So it's my preferred way of speaking, but I'm not British. So it would be very strange if I were to talk like that all the time. But if I couldn't have been British, I would have liked to have been born Canadian because they say things like process and a. So Canada is your number two choice. It's my number two choice. Okay. Also, everyone I have ever met from Canada has been incredibly nice. Just like incredibly nice. Like if you're like, oh, I'm hungry. They're like, oh, well, I, you know what? I know a cafe around the corner. Let's go and I'll get you something to eat. And that's a bad example. But they're all just like so incredibly nice. Where are your favorite places to go in Canada? So I've only been to two places in Canada, Toronto and a little spa outside of Toronto. I actually went there with today's guest on our podcast. Oh, yes. So, uh, yeah, Jason Gaynard, who is of Mastermind Talks and a kind of master networker, just also all around nice guy from Canada. He organizes for the entrepreneurs in his group, organizes little kinds of outings and get togethers. And one of the outings that I was lucky enough to go on was a spa weekend, an hour outside of Toronto. And it was delightful and Canadian. So thus a more uh, lush, nice, kind experience. What did you guys have for lunch during that outing? Oh, uh, the food. Every single meal was a three-course meal. And so for we would have our lovely appetizer and then an entree and then a dessert for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So I don't remember exactly what we ate. I just know I ate a lot and it was good. What did you have for lunch today? I haven't had lunch yet, but I was going to share that I've had. So thinking of food in Canada, Winnipeg, not many people have been to Winnipeg, and I'm now blanking, of course, on the name of this place, but there is a place in Winnipeg. Oh, really? There's a place in yeah, Winnipeg? I'm looking it up right now and I can't find it, of course. Well, we're going to have to come back to this, but... There's another place called Montreal. Oh, yes. And several great places to eat there. Oh, in Montreal, is that where they do raclette, which is like the melted... Oh, I really got throaty there. Did you notice that? I did. <laughs> um, where they do the melted cheese and they scrape it onto your food. Did you have that when you were there? You know what? I didn't. I've seen that. I didn't know that it was an iconic Montreal dish. I had, you know, they're like a lot of... French places, French-ish, French, Francophony. They have, <laughs> they do a lot of poutine. Oh, yeah. They also do Montreal smoked meat. Did you have smoked elk or any no. interesting Canada meats? I did not. I had, it's more like a, I think it's like a pastrami. It's like a deli style. Schwartz's, that's one. And there's another place that I went to because my friend recommended it's super good. But if you're ever up in Montreal or Winnipeg, look for great food. <laughs> and don't ask you for recommendations because no. he does not remember them. I apparently can't remember anything anymore. So, all right, Guy, let's get to our guest. Money. 
Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing with your hosts, Key Sakalakis and Kelly Street, teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice here on Legal Talk Network. This is going to be an incredible episode of Lunch Hour Legal Marketing because we get to talk with Jason Gaynard, who is a serial entrepreneur, a master networker, a Canadian, and thus, as a result of being Canadian, a very nice person. Well, I hope I live up to the expectation. I mean, or, or, or the introduction for that matter. So thank you for having me on. Yes, yes. So Jason, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and then they will get to hear why they should uh, keep listening as well. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, in a nutshell, I run an invite-only event and community for entrepreneurs specifically called Mastermind Talks. And to date, we've had just over 16,000 entrepreneurs apply for an event that's capped at 150 people annually. So it's a fascinating group of, of individuals across various different industries and various levels of success. And that has been built over the last four or five years without a penny spent on traditional advertising. It's all been through word of mouth and it's very much a high-touch service-based business. And my, my goal and, and hope is that I can be very open and transparent with your audience today. And maybe uh, there could be some takeaways and some best practices that they can apply in their own lives. Yes. So um, just for our listeners, I was introduced to Jason through my husband, Aaron Street of Lawyerist and um, got to know this MMT crew and Jason and just the incredible relationships that are built, I can absolutely attest to. So let's dive in. Guy, I know you, uh, you had some questions, so I'll let you start off with yours. Well, it really just put me on the spot there. I did. I've been super <laughs> impressed with the Community Made podcast. That's kind of where I wanted to jump in. I encourage all listeners to go check it out. But one of the things that Jason talks about, especially through the course of, I think it's season two, when you're talking about growing, nurturing, and amplifying your business relationships. And, you know, after all, most lawyers recognize that getting business as a lawyer, it's fundamental to build relationships and develop a, a great reputation in your community. And one of the things that we hear a lot about, uh, particularly with, you know, lawyers going to networking events is, you know, I go to these events and the magic just doesn't happen. You talk a lot about this in one of your episodes, and I thought that would be a good entry point. Talk about your experiences in choosing networking events. What kind of tips do you have for choosing them? I really liked your 40-20-40 rule. I think diving into some of that stuff would be very helpful for folks that are maybe have tried networking events, but have been have either they haven't worked for them or maybe they didn't participate or they're at the wrong ones. What can you tell folks about, about that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, most industry networking events tend to be a little stuffy and, and, and again, very kind of transactional in their nature where it's a lot of business card flinging and that kind of stuff. And generally speaking, I mean, the best quote unquote networking is when you don't know you're networking. So when you're handing out business cards and schmoozing, oftentimes it's not necessarily when you're building the, the best and most kind of genuine relationships. So um you know, if you are going to an industry event, I mean, one of the best ways to make the most out of that experience is that philosophy you touched on, which is the 40-20-40. And the premise behind that is that most people go into an event without any prep work 
and don't do any post work either. They really kind of focus the bulk of their energy on just showing up and winging it. And generally speaking, uh, that's probably why they don't get a lot from most events from an ROI perspective. Uh, so the 40-20-40 philosophy is, is you try to allocate 40% of your energy or bandwidth towards kind of pre-planning or preparing, 20% of your bandwidth towards the actual event itself, and then 40% of your bandwidth towards what happens post which is a lot of follow-ups and, and, and checking in and those kind of things. So in the pre-planning process, you know, some events will provide some kind of Rolodex of who's going to be in attendance. And most people identify themselves as, as introverts. And I identify myself as an introvert as well. The only thing I would say that helps kind of curb introversion is to walk into a room or walk into an environment somewhat prepared. I know, I guess, my introversion tendencies kind of flare up. When I walk into a room, I don't know anybody. I, I, and I just feel like, you know, I got thrown into an ocean and don't know where to, where to swim to, so to speak. So if you're given some kind of agenda, that'll help you kind of navigate, you know, what you're going to participate in and those kind of things, potentially manage your energy as well, especially those who identify themselves as introverts. Sometimes it's good to be I'm the type of individual that can be like all in socially. So I can be in a networking setting and I can own the room, but then I need to go out and be completely alone. So if you do have an agenda in advance, for example, you can kind of plan like, you know, you're going to go to this session, you're going to play full out, you're going to be all in, but then you're also going to take an opportunity during a different session, or maybe there's a break that you're going to take an opportunity to kind of recharge. So um, there's that kind of component to planning. There's the component of if you have a Rolodex of those that are going to be in attendance, you can do research on people in advance so that you don't go into any conversations cold because, you know, it's easy to, to meet somebody new and then you just go through the whole, you know, what do you do and where are you from and all that kind of stuff. And those are always kind of awkward. And actually probably what's most awkward is when you're talking to somebody and then they answer the question and you don't know what to ask next. And then there's that dead spot in the conversation. So the nice thing of being able to like research people in advance, maybe potentially prioritizing who you want to connect with. What I try to do is, is if there is a hit list of 15, 20 people I plan to connect with, then I can create two or three questions in advance and have them in my back pocket, so to speak, so that if I run into them, I can kickstart the conversation and it can kind of flow naturally as opposed to us trying to figure out, you know, just going through the the murkiness of the beginning of a a new conversation with anyone. So there's that kind of planning component as well. And then ultimately, you know, when you walk into a new setting where the conversation is going to start is, again, what do you do, right? And having a strong kind of introduction is important. I mean, oftentimes, if you don't have that quote unquote down pack, it's very easy to, you know, kind of mumble and probably talk a little too much and, you know, lose, lose somebody's interest. And for me, that practicing that is really, really important and kind of honing that. So there's, there's different ways you can do that. One of a friend of mine has a philosophy called the six word introduction, which to me just works really, really well and can easily be customized in virtually any setting. And the premise of it or the baseline of it, and there's different versions, but the baseline is I help blank. So whatever that customer is or client is achieve what result. So for example, like for me, it's I connect fascinating entrepreneurs or, you know, there's a friend of mine, Tucker, who helps uh, people create books and his, his could be I help 
people's you know ideas come to life or, or those kind of things. And there's again, there's different frameworks to introduce yourself, but the, the idea is to be as quick and concise with it as possible and have them leaning into wanting to learn more. And again, when you don't, there's no reason why you can't plan and prepare this stuff in advance. And when you don't, it just, it, it makes it much more difficult. So the planning process is, is to me, kind of really crucial when given the opportunity to, again, to have the Rolodex in advance and to have the schedule in advance and those kind of things. During the event itself, there's a couple of things there, but again, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're pretty much playing full out during that experience. And then post-event, it's really important, and this is where a lot of people drop the ball, it's really important to follow up. You know, I think that's where most of the value is because you meet a lot of people during the event. There's a lot of noise and that kind of stuff. You may meet 20, 30 people, but very rarely do people actually ever do the follow-up. So for me, follow-up is a kind of crucial component. And in a follow-up, I'll either reach back out with like maybe some contacts that I, you know, promised in conversation that I would loop back with them on, or maybe some, some resources that I promised, or just making some touch points about like the conversation that we had. So maybe it's, you know, Hey, it's great to connect. And it's awesome to hear that your, your daughter's doing so well in softball or those kind of things, the more personal you can make it, the better. But usually what I like to do is, is having that follow-up because it creates almost like this email chain so that later on down the road, should you ever need to quote unquote, I guess, reactivate that relationship, you have an email chain to go off of where it works just exceptionally well. So again, the majority of people that don't do any pre-planning, don't do any post post event work or what have you. And the, allocate all their energy during the event. And I think um, oftentimes that's that's missing the mark or missing the, the best opportunities to make the most out of the experience. So much great stuff in there. I mean, one thing I just wanted to highlight, though, that I think will really resonate with lawyers in particular in, in terms of going to these events and, and choosing, even focusing on like, which ones do you go to? One of the things I think that really resonated with me that Jason said is, choosing the events more based on who's actually going to be at the events than the content, right? So, like, so many lawyers will go on and say, oh, I want to go because this is the content that's going to be there versus who's there that I want to meet and then doing all the things I just talked about. So tons of great stuff in there that I think uh, if you had bad experiences with networking events, spend some time uh, doing what Jason talks about, planning and spending more energy on the planning and the follow-up than just showing up kind of like and shrugging. I'll just say real quickly that like, and, and to, t- to really elaborate on what you're saying, for me, the best learning doesn't happen in the conference room. It happens over conversation. So yeah, being very clear on who's there, like to me, it, it makes very little sense to invest a couple days, you know, out of your calendar to go to an event and sit passively in an audience to listen to a speaker when you can listen to that content in a podcast like this or a YouTube talk or, or those kind of things. Content is abundant in today's day and age, but connections are, are rather scarce. So when it comes to me and how I kind of vet opportunities to go to events and if it's worth my, my time and, and all that kind of stuff, it really all comes down to the quality of people that will be in the room. Yeah. I want to um, just say one of the things that I think you do really well, speaking of the the conversation, is curating dinners and curating those groups that you know will, they'll have some commonalities, but you'll get some great variety of conversation based on the group that you're putting together. And so I think that's one thing that you could do as well at an event is maybe if there are people you want to meet, say, hey, can you 
can we all meet and, and go for dinner? So, and I know that's kind of how you got Mastermind Talks started. So can you talk about that a little bit and how to get that sort of dinner, that conversational aspect going? Yeah. So, I mean, that that is very much how MMT started. I used to be in a traditional kind of e-commerce business before, but I realized after doing that for seven years, I built a business I hated to enable me to buy things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. Uh, and I realized I was rather unhappy. So like most people, I, I kind of built my business at the time at the expense of my relationships or just really at the expense of not investing aggressively, I guess you could say in relationships. So, um, I started these things called mastermind dinners, where I'd invite eight entrepreneurs out for dinner with the core focus of connecting them. And the first one I did, I almost canceled two hours prior because I'm like, nobody's going to see value in this. They're going to think I completely wasted their time. But thankfully, it turned out to be a great success. And actually, how I got the idea of hosting and facilitating these dinners was somebody gave me a ticket to go see Seth Godin in New York. And Seth is a, I guess, has many, many best-selling books under his belt and just is very, just a very smart guy. Uh, and he was facilitating this workshop. I didn't even know what it was about, but I had no other obligations at the time. So I decided to, to go to this workshop and take advantage of the opportunity. And it turned out the theme of it was the connection economy and how there's huge value connecting like-minded individuals. And during the two days, there was a story that he shared about an individual named Thornton May, who was the business development guy for a IT firm that was starting up. And he realized kind of early on that in order for his IT firm to be successful, he had to attract the Fortune 500, so to speak. But he knew that if he could attract the Fortune 500 and surface the Fortune 500 client base, they would be like the 800-pound gorilla in their space. So what he decided to do was almost like this tour where he'd go to Houston and he would he knew the decision makers for his services were the CIOs of these organizations. So he'd fly to Houston and he'd reach out to the CIO of Coca-Cola and the CIO of Texaco, not knowing them, but would say, hey, I'm doing a you know breakfast for a bunch of other CIOs. Here's the people that are going to be here. If you're interested in joining us, you know, here's the here's the details. And inevitably, like we all have a deep desire to be connected to like-minded individuals. So uh, the CIOs ended up showing up and there was no kind of context to to the breakfasts. It wasn't like, hey, we're here to you know pitch you on our services or any of that kind of stuff. But inevitably, when you put a bunch of similar people together, they'll start to talk shop, I guess you could say. And you know, they would start to talk about maybe some pain points that they're facing, you know, in their business when it comes to maybe IT solutions. And inevitably they would kind of turn to Thornton and say, like, hey, you know, is this something you guys can help with? And he'd write it down in his notebook and he'd kind of follow up. And lo and behold, after a few years, they became one of the largest IT firms in the United States using that one simple kind of business development tool. So I kind of leveraged that and applied it in my own kind of personal life, where I just want to connect with fascinating entrepreneurs. And I didn't have a business model behind it. I just love being around fascinating people. And uh, it ended up leading into MMT and the community that is MMT and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I have, uh, I was talking to one of my lawyers actually recently, and we were kind of talking about this philosophy. And I'm like, you service other fascinating people. I would love to be in a room with other people that you service because they're very similar to me on some level. So there's a bunch of different ways that you can position these dinners or what have you. It could be, you know, you're surrounding yourself with peers, or it could be that you're connecting your kind of client base. But ultimately, they're, to me, they're the highest value thing you can do. Like the way I look at it is that, you know, I can spend a thousand bucks to go to an event or I can spend a thousand bucks and host, you know, 20 people for a dinner. 
and build far deeper relationships than having surface level conversations at an event. So it's just another approach, but to me, it's by far the best way I uh, invest in my relationships and build a foundation of strong relationships. Yeah, it's good. And one of the things that I don't even know if this is like a so much a question, but maybe just kind of, I think something that you do particularly well that is lost a little bit in the kind of digital content production age is the connection with the people. And so, and maybe you can just kind of, you know, there's only so much time in a day and we know that amplification being online, you know, allows you to connect with a lot of people, but maybe not build this, the same connection. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how you prioritize the balance of not getting on. I think you used the, the phrase, which I really liked, the content production hamster wheel and balancing those face to face dinner connections. And then how do you take those relationships online and manage all of that? Yeah. So there's a, a couple of different things. I mean, in today's day and age, we are drowning in contacts, but we are starving for connection. Platforms like LinkedIn, Facebook, all that kind of stuff almost give off the illusion that we have lots of friends, but social isolation is showing up in every single study you can imagine when it comes to mental health, longevity studies. You know, there's a friend of mine who wrote a book called Who's Got Your Back. He wrote another book prior called um, Never Eat Alone. But in Who's Got Your Back, they interviewed a thousand people at random and they asked one question and one question only, which is who has your back? And surprisingly, 55% of people felt like nobody had their back. Uh, Even more surprisingly, 60% of those people were married. And there's a lot, (laughs) scary, I know, (laughs) there's a lot of studies like that. And again, like the illusion that we have all these, these friends is simply, you know, scary. I mean, people fall into that trap and ultimately it doesn't matter how many friends you can count. It matters how many friends you can count on. And at the end of the day, we only have so much bandwidth and some people are not, don't like the idea of quote unquote prioritizing relationships, but there's something called Dunbar's number, which is the number of stable social relationships that you can kind of manage. And that's capped at around 150. And that's just from an evolution perspective, like, you know, tools like Facebook and all that kind of stuff enable us to reach more people, but we we can only hold so many people, I guess, in our head from a social perspective. So for me, I have to be very selective. I'm very careful as far as who I allocate bandwidth to. And I put people in different buckets, so to speak, which helps me out tremendously. So the first bucket is core relationships. So core relationships are the people who have your back. And this could be your family or your super, super close friends. Ultimately, the way I look at these people are they're they're individuals that would never let you sleep on the street. You know, in the worst case scenario, you could sleep on their couch type thing. So those are the people that have your back. And then I have the next bucket of, of folks that I nurture, which are the connectors. And that's basically, I've come to see it in my kind of world that, you know, if I wanted to connect with people in tech, I could go out to tech events and meet 500 people, or I can find out the two or three people who are the major influencers and connectors in that space and just build really deep relationships with them. And they can be that catalyst to everybody and anybody in tech. So I have people in different industries who are quote unquote connectors that I nurture those relationships. Then we have community, which is usually around a hundred people, which are the, the relationships that are people who are relatively kind of similar to me. We all have a deep desire to be connected to like-minded individuals. So these are, you know, friends and, and those kind of things. And then we have fans and fans are relationships with people that if I ask them, Hey, you know, would you mind hopping on a call? I need some feedback on something they would hop on a call, no problem. They're not close enough that they let me sleep on their couch per se, but I do have that rapport with them. And then there's fringe. 
and fringe is really those who build like a, a larger kind of personal brand, whether that be through Facebook, LinkedIn, those kind of things where it's, if I post something to, to LinkedIn, they may comment on it. So if I say, hey, I need a connection to so-and-so, does anybody have any leads? They may comment and they may help me. And that is, again, a kind of a fringe relationship. So fringe relationships generally are just nurtured through, again, social media updates, those kind of things. The fans' relationships, how I nurture that is actually something I've implemented recently, and it's been amazing, which is I, I kind of capture all these folks. And I use a CRM, but it doesn't have to be anything super complicated. But my goal is like, there's a philosophy called a thousand true fan theory, which was, uh, I forgot the guy's name. He's from Wired Magazine. Chris Kelly. Yeah, I think Chris Kelly, something like that. I'm pretty sure it's Chris Kelly. And uh, the philosophy is that if you have a thousand true fans and you're a artist of any kind, whether it be a musician, a magician, whatever, if you have a thousand true fans, you can have a very comfortable life. And to me, I'm always looking to kind of foster my thousand true fans and how I nurture those thousand true fans is every quarter I send out an email to them just with an update as far as like what's going on in my life and those kind of things. And I also invite them to email me back, let me know what's going on in their life as well. And you would believe I had the last email I sent out, I think it went out to 770 some odd people. That email was opened over 2000 times. So the majority of people opened it more than once. And I had probably about a hundred or so reply back to that email with what's going on in their life. So that was a great way to just kind of touch base with those quote unquote fans. Community are people that I try to, you know, touch base with once a year, kind of face to face. And then core and connectors are people that I, I try to have a higher frequency. But again, like I know a lot of people in the quote unquote networking space that, you know, they use all these elaborate CRMs and they nurture 5,000 relationships at a time and all that kind of stuff. And I've never seen it work effectively. I've seen them, you know, get nurture maybe fringe relationships perhaps, but Ultimately, again, it's what's more important is how many friends you instead of how many friends you can count is how many friends you can count on. And to me, that's been the best structure to nurture like super core, like important relationships all the way out to the fringe network. Yeah. Just in case anyone is is wondering like, oh, how do I thinking about building relationships? How do I translate this to my law practice or law firm? Jason's business is relationships. And so having a CRM to manage your relationships is just akin to having a CRM to manage your client base. And then he and I have talked about this before of reaching out to former clients or clients whose cases are closed once every um, six to eight weeks just to check in and say, you know, make sure that your you as a lawyer law firm are staying on kind of in the back of their mind in case they have anyone who could use your services or or need a lawyer or even need a referral. That's the kind of thing about managing relationships that will keep people being engaged with you and keep people really excited about just staying connected. I will just say, if, if you don't mind real quickly, to just to elaborate on that, because it's it's 100% great advice. I mean, ultimately, we are all in the relationship business, especially, you know, just in the service-based business, it's purely based on relationships. But I have a, a, a lawyer that I avoided, <laughs> I feel bad saying this, but I avoided dealing with any legal stuff for the longest times. I always had a really bad my parents went through this really nasty lawsuit when I was a kid for years. And I just always had this bad relationship with the idea of hiring a lawyer and all that kind of stuff. And because of that, there's a lot of business stuff that, you know, when it comes to 
proper business structures and all that kind of stuff that I've been delaying because I've been afraid to find a lawyer and afraid of finding wrong lawyer and that kind of stuff. And ultimately, I was referred to this gentleman who recently has become a friend. And, you know, there's a saying that business like life is all about how you make people feel. It's that simple and it's that hard. And in conversation with this guy, like he's actually, he can't provide the services I need necessarily, but he's been phenomenal as far as referring me to other people, you know, in his firm and all that kind of stuff. And when I think of like, I need any kind of legal needs, he's the he's the person I go to. He's almost like that catalyst that I know that either he'll be able to to serve me or he'll be able to connect me with other people that'll be able to serve me. And because our relationship's there, to what you said, like, you know, people like me know, if I'm his target audience, I know other people like me, right? So amazing people know kind of other amazing people. And when he keeps on nurturing that relationship with me, it makes him top of mind. And because he's top of mind, it makes him tip of tongue. And, you know, he's the first person I've easily referred. And we've only built a relationship over the last 18 months. I've easily referred 10 to 15 people to him. And I'll refer people to him for the rest of my life. Uh, and he hasn't spent a penny on me. Like he hasn't spent the, he didn't get me through a Facebook ad or any of that kind of stuff. It was just good old fashioned relationship building. And God knows how many millions of dollars I'll, I'll send his way. Just because, again, he, he's built a strong relationship with me and he makes me feel safe and comfortable and he has that level of trust. And uh, I'll be referring a lot of people's way for sure in the near future. That's awesome. So another thing that I want to talk about on connecting with people is um, one of the community-made episodes is reaching the unreachable. And I think that's been really, speaking of top of mind, that's been really top of mind for me in the, you know, now having a podcast is we have all of these amazing people like you that we want to talk to and kind of pick their brain about their expertise. And it can be kind of scary to reach out to people who you sort of see as above you for fear of getting rejection and and that sort of thing. And I know that there are probably a lot of lawyers out there who are like, oh, I see what you know this lawyer at this firm is doing, or I see what the kinds of marketing practices they have or how they've built their firm. And I really want to know how to get to be like them but I'm really afraid to reach out and ask. So do you have tips for people for that? Yeah, so I think there's two things. Uh, there's a saying from 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing or a version of that saying, which is what works in the military works in outreach in this case, which is the unexpected. So when you do that outreach and you approach it from, I guess really when you sit back and assess the noise, like what's the noisiest medium for most people? It's email. So if you you know, put yourself in the shoes of somebody who is busy, who is, has, you know, some kind of prominence, I guess you could say, they may get two, three, 400 emails a day. So if you send them a simple email like everybody else, it's very easy for it to get lost in the noise. But attention is the new currency. So if there's a way for you to draw attention to what you're doing or what your inquiry is, you know, you really want to stack the cards in your favor. So that could be either sending an email and making it stand out. And you could do that by using like a video email, which is something I utilize a lot. There's different platforms out there, but Vidyard is one of them, for example. Not, not Vidyard, they have another, sorry, their platform that is free for them to use videos called, I think, Viewed It. So V-I-E-W 
E-D-I-T.com. I think there's Use Loom, which is U-S-E-L-O-O-M, which again is basically Google Chrome extensions that are, you can easily record a quick video on your webcam and then embed it into an email. And that stands out. Like if you get three, 400 emails a day, you probably get, you know, one or two video emails a year. So that's one way to kind of stand out. Another way to stand out is, I mean, avoiding email altogether. I mean, there's there's direct response. It could be, you know, sending a letter. We don't get too many letters anymore. So if you send somebody like a heartfelt note to their office or, or something like that, that can definitely, that's a way to stand above the noise. And then I think also showing your humanity in your outreach and being transparent, I think is is really, really important. When you're doing that preliminary outreach, like, you definitely don't want to have any kind of ego or do any kind of posturing or any of that kind of stuff. If you're reading out, reaching out to somebody who's rather successful or prominent, the more honest you are and open you are, oftentimes they may see a little bit of their past selves, I guess, in you. And that may just be enough to pull on the heartstrings for them to you know, help you or support you or open any kind of door and those kind of things. So but I think that's one of the probably the biggest thing when it comes to outreach is really assessing the noise and understand that what works in the military works in outreach and that's the unexpected. So how can you do something that is outside the norm? Yeah, absolutely. And we have also, in case you don't know about these, Jason, uh, Bon Bon or Bomb Bomb. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Bon that's bon. another good one. And then um, we actually have started using, and I use it to create videos, Snapfish from Wistia is another really good video service. I, I like that one. I'll provide two other ideas just to kind of throw it out there if you want to go above and beyond that. One is one thing we do for MMT sometimes is these LCD video brochures. And these work phenomenally because nobody has ever seen these before. They're not expensive. They're like 25 bucks a brochure. But basically what it is, is they receive it in the mail. It's a direct mail piece. You open it up and there's a seven inch screen in this brochure and you can customize the video uh, and say like, Hey Kelly, you know, I just want to reach out because X, Y, Z. And I tell you when I've sent that to people, even billionaires, they are blown away by this LCD brochure. I know you can easily Google it and find places where you can kind of source them. And then the other idea is something we implemented recently, and this is for new people within MMT, is actually I sent iPads with private videos on them. So literally they receive an iPad, which is a wow gift to begin with. And then when they turn on the iPad, there's a private video from me to them. So there's different levels, I guess you could say, but using video is a great way to stand above the noise when it comes to just traditional email. Yeah, absolutely. That is awesome. So another topic to kind of dive into in the last few minutes we have here is um, mentors. I know you've talked about a bit about mentors. I've been kind of reading and talking about them lately. I'm finally getting to read uh, Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. Yeah, Yeah, finally, finally getting to read that. And just wonder, she talks a lot about mentors, kind of what to look for and how how it's not about you necessarily. It's about them. Like you can't just go up to somebody and be like, I would like you to be my mentor. So, and I know you, you put a lot of stock and value in, in mentors and mentorship. So can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, mentorship is is huge. Like I would not be where I am today without having the right people along the way, I guess you could say. And I think one of the misconceptions about mentorship, there's many, but I think one of them is that it has to be some kind of 
you know, structured, rigid. We meet once a month for three hours and, and that kind of stuff. And men- mentorship can take many, many different forms. I had mentors that, you know, I check in with once a week and that served also from an accountability perspective. I had mentors that I would check in on an as-needed basis. And I have mentors that, I mean, we live in a beautiful time that if you want to be mentored by anybody, it's possible, right? Through YouTube, through books. If you want to be mentored by Seth Godin, there's what, a million you know, words that he's written out there on his blog. There's probably 20 some odd books that he's written. There's probably hundreds of interviews that he's done. So if you're willing to put in the, the time and the effort, you can be really ultimately mentored by anybody. So that's the first kind of misconception about mentorship is it has to be some face-to-face structured, rigid thing, but it can take many different forms. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's, I can't, I can't stress enough the, the importance of mentorship. Like you can learn through mistakes or you can learn through mentors. And, you know, there's a saying that uh, good judgment comes from experience and experience often comes from bad judgment. So by leveraging the wisdom of mentors, you can condense oftentimes decades kind of into days. And that's something I'm very, very conscious of. Um, when I actually made mention of like surrounding yourself with people who are part of your community, that roughly 100, 100 people, the one thing I always used to do, and which is one of the reasons I've achieved a certain level of success, is I've always surrounded myself with people who are one or two steps ahead of me. And what that does unconsciously is we all have a deep desire to belong, right? 10,000 years ago, we lived in tribes. And if you didn't belong to a tribe uh, or were kicked out of a tribe for any reason, you were guaranteed to die, right? You'd either starve to death or you get eaten by an animal that's, that's bigger than you. So for me, when you surround yourself with people who are one or two steps ahead, unconsciously what that does is pushes you to get to their level as quickly as possible to feel that you belong. The only downside to that, and there is a downside if that's the only type of people you surround yourself with, is that you are constantly measuring up, which means you feel your your self-worth takes a pretty big hit. Right? You always feel like like crap, so to speak, because you're always like surrounded by people who are doing better than you and all that kind of stuff. And mentorship also, it's important to note, it's not just professionally. Like I have mentors in my life that have great relationships with their spouse. I have mentors in my life that are great parents. I have mentors in my life that are killing it in business. So I almost have like this, this network of mentors as opposed to one mentor that I put on a pedestal because that's what I, I used to be able to get by with putting one mentor on a pedestal. But then, you know, inevitably anybody who's achieved a certain level of success, oftentimes it's because they sacrifice other areas of their life. So to me, being very cognizant of like a mentor serves me in this specific area, but I need to find a mentor to kind of balance me out in other areas that I value, I think is is really, really important. So yeah, there's a lot that can be said when it comes to, to mentorship, but that's, uh, yeah, there's there's a handful of myths, and I guess in mis- misconceptions about mentorship, but the, the one thing there's no myth about is the importance of it. Yeah, I think this is a slight change of gears, but I think can connect these ideas. And one of the things that has been part of your story that you've been very transparent about is, is that you got to be into taking care of yourself. You've got to be thinking about the impact that I think you use the phrase going from working in your business to on your business to working on yourself. And I think that that's another lesson that so many lawyers could benefit from and, and kind of maybe talking, sharing a little bit about how that's become important to you. And to me, it's kind of a no brainer that if you don't take care of yourself, how are you going to have a good relationships with people? Oh, 100%. The personal side of doing work on the self-improvement side, I guess you could say, or the awareness side of things, it's not sexy, but my God, it shows up in every area of your life, uh, especially professionally. I mean, for me, I've, I've, it's, 
I've been somebody who's has struggled with kind of low self-worth in the past and low self-worth shows up in how you price your services. It shows up in how you manage your time and the boundaries that you set. You know, it shows up in oftentimes we're pursuing these big financial goals and we're constantly kind of moving the goalposts every time we get close to them. And then you achieve those certain, you know, goals or what have you, and then you're unfulfilled. And that was probably one of the scariest moments of my life where, you know, I, I set, I, there was a point where I was making 22 times the national average income. And it was bothersome to me because I realized I was not 22 times happier than the average male. I was not 22 times healthier. When I was 23, four years prior to that, I had kidney complications because of stress. So I realized that money and happiness scale very differently. And it just goes to show that there's a lot of importance in doing that kind of personal side of the work. And yeah, I mean, without your health, I mean, it's funny, we, we sacrifice almost everything for money. And then we sacrifice or we're willing to invest all that money towards the later end of our years to buy back our health. Right. Um, so I can't stress enough the importance of, of trying to have a balanced approach. And it's easy to kind of, you know, be on this side of things and kind of preach that that's important. And every everybody knows on some kind of level, it's important. And every once in a while, like nobody stays within balance all the time. Like currently, you know, I'm in the event space, our next events in 54 days, my sleep is taking a hit. My health is taking a hit. My time with my daughter is taking a hit, but I'm very aware of it. And once the event is done, then I'm going to reinvest in those areas and invest more than I'll be investing in the business. So there's always kind of this ebb and flow. And I think that awareness is key. And it's taken me, you know, 32 years to really put my finger on it and really, yeah, just pay very, very close attention. One of, one of the, I guess, the wisest things I was ever told was I used to say that I always put my family first. And most people say that, and it's, it's almost, it's just a standard thing to say. Very few people would like to admit that they put their career first, but I always used to say that. And then a friend of mine said, if you really want to see what you value, take a look at your calendar because your calendar is a true reflection of your priorities. And the funny thing is, if you look at my calendar, it's all meetings, it's all phone calls, it's all that kind of stuff. It's time set aside for work. But I don't have the gym always scheduled in my calendar. I don't have yoga always scheduled in my calendar. I don't have time with my daughter scheduled in my calendar or time with my wife necessarily always scheduled. So one of the again the more eye-opening things for me to realize my life was not really all that in balance is taking a look at my calendar because ultimately where you allocate your time is where it kind of lies your deepest desires. Yeah, that's no, such a good point. And again, it's, you know, even for the people that are out there, there might be a little bit skeptical and say, oh, well, you know, this is kind of the warm and fuzzy stuff. Like this is what it takes to get ahead. The thing that I found with people that, that at least don't have the awareness is that it impacts those relationships. So it's actually hurting the very thing that you're trying to do in terms of building your network, building referral sources, building a client base, because you're not taking care of yourself, it's bringing negativity to the table. It's bringing, you know, you talked about uh, measuring up all those types. If you don't have that self-awareness, you're not being mindful of your own personal health. It's actually going to hurt the very thing you're you know, strategically or tactically that you're going out doing and trying to whether it's grow your network, grow your business, build relationships, you can't do it. Yeah, well, there's a there's a great, uh, I think it's a Chinese proverb, that which is to know the road ahead, ask those coming back. Like, it's not rocket science. Like, if you want to know what the future looks like for somebody who's willing to sacrifice everything for their, their professional life, look ahead. There's people you can find that are great examples of, you know, that are going to die alone. You know what I mean? Like, it's, or, you know, run into health issues at 40. You know, I ran, I hit rock bottom financially, when I was 27, but emotionally and spiritually, I was, I was crushed. You know, I've, I've reached kind of burnout before. And I like, I know what that feels like, 
I didn't need to. Again, like you can learn through mentors or mistakes. Those were mistakes I made. If I would have looked far ahead enough and say like, hey, this is the trajectory I'm on. Here's some examples of other people. Then that may have kind of hit the, the message home sooner. And I wouldn't have had to kind of learn the hard way. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people in your profession that you can easily look to. And in any profession for that matter, that are 10, 20, 30 years down the road. And don't necessarily, you know, look at them from an outside perspective and follow them on Instagram and, and believe like they're highlight reel, right? We all put our highlight reel on those platforms, but you need to be able to see the behind the scenes. So if you're able to have a candid conversation with somebody who's 20, 30 years down the road and they're willing to be honest with you, you know, oftentimes they'll, they'll tell you the sacrifices uh, they've made and what, you know, impact they've made. And oftentimes you'll see that they've, they've had to shift their focus and kind of reinvest in those relationships, reinvest in their marriage and those kind of things. So uh, yeah, just look ahead. Great stuff. So wise. Oh, Jason, I wish we had so much more time. We're going to have to do a second episode later on and maybe after after MMT is done and after you've had a chance to reconnect with life because there's just so much more that I could ask you and so much more knowledge that you can have for our listeners. So, Well, for the both of you, I'm always willing. So just let me know when. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jason. We appreciated having you on and look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Jason. Really appreciate it. And folks, I strongly encourage you to go check out uh, the Community Made podcast. If you liked some of the things we talked about here, there are episodes upon episode, so much great information and, and knowledge sharing going on over there. So I really encourage you to check that out. As always, if you have ideas, shows, topics, suggestions, or are willing to be a guest, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We really want to hear from you, our audience, to help improve and get feedback about how we can make this podcast even better. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. And please don't forget to subscribe on Apple iTunes or your favorite podcast subscription service. And join us for more conversations on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and everywhere else that we may pop up on the web. Thank you and see you next time. Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Canada, our home and native land. Enough of this nonsense. That's not my real singing voice. Anyway, I'm going to stop. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me 
lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.